1: Now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on.
2: I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report
1: with Buffalo Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He
2: likes to get in the nose. It's something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger, my rollerblading blonde mohawk
1: producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking. Bill's Podcast. I'm an adult.
2: I know what I'm about.
1: Welcome,
2: everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Older, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger.
1: And I'm not going to lie to you We're both fucking shell-shocked This is Not only did we lose Ah! Not only did we Ah! lose Not only did we lose to Jacksonville You also have to drink a Seagram's Oh, go get it, you son of a bitch Don't worry, I got it right here Of course you do I got it right here, your strawberry daiquiri Uh, You couldn't even You know I like the Calypso Yeah, no, That's not not your That's not your option You get strawberry daiquiri All right Open that right now. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll Let me tell you my thought process. All right, here we On go. On five and a ha- half. I set the well, line. I clear this, folks. Five and a half states. I'm like a Lannister. I always pay my bets. Set- we repay my debts. It made it to seven states. I knew I was going to get New York, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Florida, and Wyoming. Because Josh Allen in Wyoming, one of the greatest things that they've ever seen. But since you don't know how maps work and where Jacksonville's located... I felt like I could also squeeze in South Carolina. And I got – so blame Charleston for broadcasting the game, Charleston, South Carolina. I blame and Charleston then, for a lot of things. And then there was just a small sliver in Nebraska that also got the game to push Nebraska, it to seven. you turned on me like this. Yeah, so I, I, knew, I knew five states, Wyoming, New York, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Florida. And that's why I set it at five and a half because I felt I could get a small sliver elsewhere. This is never, I them. never bet, never bet Seagrams on me when it comes to the the uh, the map of where games are. What I love, you're over two.
2: I came into this. I came in here today, dragging a little ass. I'm a little tired. That Seagram's just woke me up. It's like electricity in your veins. I don't know if it's the sugar. Maybe I should have one
1: before I go to work.
2: <laughs> I'd argue that's probably a good idea. I think you should try it and report back on how that worked out for you.
1: Yeah, instead of like having a Red Bull to make it through the Ooh. night, you have a Seagrams. I just had a shiver, like
2: I had goosebumps after chugging the thing, and I had a shiver that literally shook me from my spine all the way to my tailbone. It was deep. Whoo! It was deep, just like the chaos from this game is. I'm just gonna let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into it because Chris, as I told our listeners, this might be the shortest recap podcast ever. Week 9, the Jacksonville Jaguars 9, the Buffalo Bills 6. If we're going to start this conversation, I want to start with talking about the party that I threw. It's the first Sunday of football I've hosted at my home the entire season. Pizza wings, nothing crazy, you know? Invited the usual suspects, everyone came over. Um, Mark is a wild card, a kind of like Charlie Kelly and Always Sunny. He showed up with a legitimate chocolate fountain and a smorgasbord of fruit and Little Debbie snacks to be dipped into it. Then he broke out Molson Ices when the Bills offense started struggling out of the gate. And then at halftime, out of frustration, he had a big bag of McRib sandwiches door to my home. Chris, the man door dashed McRibs to my house.
1: I saw that on Twitter.
2: And it was decreed that everybody had to eat at least half of one. I hope that everyone listening to this is someday lucky enough to have a lunatic like Mark in their crew at some point. Because while I'm capable of being a legitimate menace at any given moment, Mark is more like Dennis the Menace. Good, clean, ridiculous fun, wrapped up in some of the worst culinary tendencies known to man. And legitimately, you never know what to expect from Mark. Chris, he really is a great addition to our game day crew, right?
1: Yeah, and our lawyer. Let's not forget that.
2: Yeah, Power Report lawyer. He
1: is our attorney if we Pitcher. need him for anything. And also, if I, mean, I say anything on this podcast that people don't like <laughs> and people come after me, I got I got Marduk representing me.
2: He'll, he'll disavow
1: all knowledge of you if it comes back. Oh, yeah, we'll go to court. He'll show up in a suit, but he also has on a Miller Lite tie.
2: And then he'll sit down at the prosecution's desk and be like, what are you doing here? They're like, oh, no, I'm here on your behalf. This guy, this guy needs to be put away for a long time. Look at that haircut. <laughs> the stats of the game. Trevor Lawrence, 15 to 26, 57%, 118 yards, no touchdowns, two sacks, a 69.1 rating. Josh Allen, 31 for 47, 66%. 264, zero touchdowns, two picks, four sacks, 62.7 rating. The Bills' offensive line, 23 pressures allowed, 17 quarterback hurries. Every player on the offensive line had at least three. Four sacks, six total hits. The Jaguars' offensive line, six pressures allowed, two quarterback hurries, two sacks, three total hits. Jaguars defensive tackle Taven Bryan, two tackles for loss, two sacks, three total quarterback hits, highest rated front seven member for Jacksonville. Wide receiver Cole Beasley, led team with 11 targets, eight receptions, 33 yards, 15 yards after the catch, four yards per reception. Wide receiver Gabe Davis, two targets, zero catches, one drop. Officiating. 20 accepted penalties for 172 yards, with 118 going against Buffalo. (laughs) As we start this conversation about the officiating, I'm going to open a beer that was brought to us by Vince from Lackawanna. It's Nepenthe Brewing Company. It's called Tiny Tyrant Galaxy. It's a single hop pale ale. Now, I'm looking for an ABV on this beast. It's only 5% alcohol, which means, Chris, it should be pretty drinkable, right?
1: Yeah, so it's bottled water. No, no, no. It's 5%. That's right at the cutoff. It
2: makes the cut.
1: Let's take a chip. Is it an ale? What is it?
2: It's a pale ale.
1: And when uh, you smell it,
2: you smell a little bit of fruit, right?
1: Yeah, I can smell the fruit on that. You you drink that. There's some hops in there. I don't think it's fruity, though.
2: Nope. No, no. It's very light. There's a light. It's almost like it's a little fruity on the taste, but it's hoppy. And it finishes cleaner than most IPAs I drink. That's a really drinkable beer. I could probably do three or four of these before I just switch to something else. I like this.
1: So it's almost like a, a Miller Lite in the sense of you can have a bunch of these in a row and not feel anything.
2: No, I feel like this would give me a buzz. It's got a little bit of gravity to it. I like it. I like it, and I'm gonna need a few more of these days if we're gonna talk about the officiating in this fucking game.
1: You knew something was up when Mitch Trubisky got a penalty for not being <laughs> in the stadium.
2: Let's talk. Let's start with this. Will be like I said, the this shortest recap podcast we've ever done. The officials headed up by a guy named Land Clark. Which, first of all, Land Clark—that's your name. Your parents named you
1: Land. What? That is one of the worst names I've ever heard. Throw
2: them and that kid into the fire. Especially now. I'd like to retroactively sacrifice them into the volcano. This is is a name that will now reside along Ed Hockley and Carl Sheffers in the Hall of Fame of Shit Heel Zebras. They were a degree of putrid I've never seen in a professional contest before. Not once. Not twice, but three separate times a penalty was called against the wrong team. Announced against the wrong team. And at one point, the teams had swapped units on the field.
1: Yeah, it was in the uh, the opening drive after the Trubisky penalty, which, I mean, how depleted are we on the secondary that he's got to... We got to put Trubisky in on the <laughs> secondary. He goes, <laughs> "Ah,
2: penalty number ten, Mitch Trub, penalty number ten on the defense." And everyone goes, "Well, wait a minute, that's Mitch." And it pops up on the screen, and I laughed. I literally spit beer.
1: Yeah, how dumb are the people in in the production truck to Y'all actually? No
2: one saw it. Like, hey, we should probably second guess. Probably second guess this.
1: Yeah, I think it was they went to commercial. Like they went to commercial, and it was Tavon Austin with the penalty, and then they come back from commercial ready for the punt, and they're like, oh, no, it's on Trey White. Like,
0: <laughs> they're like, no, right
1: what the fuck are you doing? Like,
2: wait, who – do you actually know? Because the punting unit is on the field.
1: Yeah, after that, I got a text from my girlfriend asking if the ref he had a stroke recently because how bad he was. I
2: mean, and you've all surely seen the ridiculous lack of attention being paid to the false starts that were uncalled against the Jaguars. So I'm not going to waste your time or my breath beating a dead horse there. But it's hilarious that they got away with so much of that, and yet we got no benefit of the doubt. Our offensive line was called for multiple penalties. Meanwhile, apparently theirs are allowed to get a a one-and-a-half-second head start, Chris. One-and-a-half seconds on the offensive tackle. Ah. People might recall me calling for Carl Sheffers to meet the same end as Metallica bassist Cliff Burton a few weeks ago during Sunday Night Football. At one point during this game, I asked the room that I was watching with if anybody out there could genuinely be a fan of the officiating and the referee. And most of the people just kind of flatly were like, that's impossible. And I said, well, that's a damn shame, because I'd love to see Lane Clark end up like John Lennon. Ah! (laughs) If you get the reference good on you, if not, Google it. Chris, this game was a disaster,
1: right? It was. Like, I, I watched the game after the Sunday night game. I, re, I watched the condensed version. And, Good for you,
2: because I didn't. It, I did not rewatch this fucking thing.
1: It blew my mind that 41 minutes left of game time, and the Bills were done scoring. <laughs> that, uh, like when I was, you
2: say it like that, it really hurts.
1: Yeah, I was like, I was watching... The game and I I see Bass kick the field goal and now we got six and I'm like, huh, that's it. And I look at the clock. It's like 1059 left in the second quarter. I'm like, what the fuck am I in for the rest of the way that we don't even get points the rest of the game?
2: Normally, this is where I would try to break down drives or position groups that I paid attention to. But I'll be honest with you. I could not bring myself to rewatch this thing. So instead, what I want to do is I want to talk about moments. A football game is it's a game of inches where every second of the full 60 minute clock, it brings with it an opportunity and it's on you to either harness them or let them slip away. I give a lot of credit to the guys in the Bills fan base and podcasting community who rewatch film and put the time and effort into studying that minutiae of detail in losses like this? But for me, I'd rather stick a fork in my eye socket than rewatch that football game. I always come back to the same conclusion: these games are just a collection of moments that can tell the entire story. I start with out of the gate. The very first series, the Jaguars come out and literally punched us in the mouth. On the penalty that Lane Clark botched to open play, LaVisca Chenault didn't even try playing the ball in the air. He's a wide receiver going at Trey White. Instead, took that as an opportunity to manhandle and drag Trey White to the ground. And while he got flagged for taunting afterwards, not even for roughing, but just taunting, they underscored a level of physicality that was going to become a theme of the game for the Jaguars wide receivers, their offensive line and their defense. And it was an, it was a clear message to the Buffalo Bills that there wasn't going to be any sleepwalking through this game from the other team. Now, for me, Chris, my thoughts on that play right there. The Bills did not respond in kind. And that struck me. Like. If you fancy yourself as having a dominating football team, you would expect that you're going to be the tone setter, correct?
1: Yeah. This sounds like a Milan Lucic on Ryan Miller hit. Yeah. This is one
2: of those moments where somebody just took goal- a run at
1: your best defensive player, arguably. Yeah. And everyone else just
2: kind of went like, oh, okay, well, that's a thing that happened. And they shrugged at it, and they went about their business. I think because it was a hubris that they could, oh, it doesn't matter. They're Jacksonville. Well, It did matter because they came into this game intent on punching us in the face. And we did not respond to that. We didn't rise to the occasion. I remember saying to people as I was watching it, the Jaguars came out playing hot and Buffalo looked a little lax, which is a terrible combination for a football game. The next moment that I want to talk about. With six minutes to go in the first quarter, Sanders catches a big pass to put us first and goal on the three-yard line. The Bills were in position to punch the ball in, score their first touchdown of the day, and respond after watching Jacksonville take the lead on their opening drive. From three yards out, the Bills run a delayed handoff that ends behind the line of scrimmage and backs them up to the six-yard line. A short pass to the, kind of out into space to Cole Beasley that gains zero yards. And an incomplete pass to the pylon into traffic to Zach Moss. The Bills are forced to kick a field goal in the game's tied. Chris, this to me might be the most egregious moment of the entire game. We've known for weeks that the Bills are struggling in the red zone. It's not new. And a lot of it centers around our offensive line's inability to get any push on plays when the front seven doesn't have any coverage responsibilities. When safeties and cornerbacks can take away the end zone. Linebackers and defensive linemen condense on our offensive line, and they get nothing accomplished. Nothing happens. Chris, other teams run in the red zone regularly. And yet the Buffalo Bills have been god-awful at it this entire season. We've known for weeks that this is a problem. And a lot of it revolves around the offensive line. They just don't win one-on-one battles on the interior of that offensive line reliably enough to be counted on in that regard. But to watch them from six yards out in the most condensed portion of the field decide that back-to-back passes to their smallest wide receivers is a good fucking idea? That's unforgivable. I don't under- Chris, I don't know what else to call it at this point. The red zone acumen of this team is unforgivable. Look, look, we're, we're, you can't draw up a play for Stephon Diggs. You can't try to get Gabe Davis involved. You know, the guy who caught seven touchdown passes in the red zone for you. Nothing? Yeah, I don't get it. The current touchdown leader on your team, Emmanuel Sanders, he's not part of the game plan? No. Three yards out, let's defer to the smallest people on our fucking team. That makes... Chris, hearing me say it, you know I'm right.
1: Unfortunately, I don't like to acknowledge when you're right about anything.
2: It drives me insane. At some point, the offensive line can't be the thing everyone blames for our inability to put six on the board. When we're inside the 20. Our offensive coordinator is a shell of himself this season in that regard. And it's hard to find a reason for it. Davis's seven touchdowns are a distant memory. He's been relegated to less than 28% of the snaps most weeks. And when they do use him, it's never in the red zone. Okay, you want the kid to produce for you, but you don't put him in where he might be able to do the most damage. It's embarrassing from, from top to bottom. plain and simple to see Jacksonville hold us three points there. Jesus Christ. I'm getting fired up again. I'm I'm opening another beer. Now I've got three open beverages. You need to. So, to open the second half, the Bills get the ball and immediately march down the field. On the Jacksonville 25, with the uprights in sight and the ability to take the lead in hand, Allen throws an interception while forcing a pass to Cole Beasley in the middle of the field. My thoughts on this. Another glaring missed opportunity, but one that's a byproduct of Allen forcing things when he should just be smart and take what the defense is giving him. It wasn't Allen's biggest mistake of the day, but it was one born of frustration relating to the struggles of the offensive line to protect him or to allow them to launch any kind of sustained drives. That pressure is one we've seen Josh react to negatively in the past, and it was the beginning of the end for us in that regard. The next drive, or the next point, the next moment that matters in all of this, after watching the Jags kicker miss multiple attempts, the Bills get the ball back and convert a giant third and
1: 22. And I texted Reed's dad, and I asked him, I go, have you ever seen this in football, ever, at any level? What? The three misses in a row by Matt Wright. I go, have you ever seen, like, because the, the penalty gets called, and then it gets pushed back 47, and it's like, oh, well, he's going to make this. Like, that never happens where you get a penalty on a kick, and he misses it. And so they go to re-kick, and he misses it again. And then there's another penalty on that, and then the guy misses it again. All to the left. I've never seen that before. Suck it. You're not good.
2: (laughs) I I don't know what to tell you. You're you're just not an NFL kicker.
1: But what? He also hit a 55-yarder, too. Yeah. (laughs) Kiss my ass.
2: (laughs) So after watching this, and then they come out, and Josh converts on this third and 22. So at that point, he's feeling himself. Emotions are running high, knowing you're in a tie ball game. The clock is working against you. After a Cody Ford holding call, it's first and 20. Allen's hell-bent on getting this go-ahead score. So he goes back to Cowboy football. He's scrambling on every pass attempt of this drive, just trying to buy time with his legs to try to make some kind of magic happen. And in the process, throws an interception while being tackled because he's still convinced he can make a play. Josh Allen picks him off from the Jaguars. Chris, this is the Josh Allen we saw back in 2018-2019. That's it. That's the guy right there. Clearly pressing. Playing as if he thinks he can do everything. All the heavy lifting himself. Throwing into a cover two shell that isn't going to allow him to make big plays, but trying to do it anyway. It's it's an ever more apparent theme of the Bills' 2021 season. That was the moment that you needed a cool head, and Allen lost his. And yet it comes in the back of multiple sacks, multiple penalties, to coincide with some frustratingly physical play from the opposing defense. This is where you could visibly see the, that the Jaguars approach had taken its toll. That field position we gave up on that pick gave up the game-winning field goal, and those are the plays that decided the game.
1: That's it. Bill's football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the Internet to find Bill's tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of those awful service fees that the other sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best price on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. Visit TickPick.com slash RockPile today to save $10
0: on your first order of Bills Tickets. Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Now, Chris, if I have to name a hero in zero for this week, my hero of the game is going to be Power Report listener Mike Partham.
1: Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner
0: and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime.
2: Mike, you're a goddamn hero. I should shake your hand. If I was Commissioner Gordon, I'd put a light on top of my house in the shape of your choosing and shine it into the sky when it was... Mike Partham is a guy. He's... Chris, you've met Mike. Yep. Mike's a nice guy. Yet he walks into the lion's den that is Drew watching football, and he's heard a lot. Yeah. On Sunday, he heard some wild shit while the game was going on. I said a lot of things, a lot of regrettable things. I wish I was there for I didn't it.
1: Throw anything. I think Sunday would have been a great. But Drew, I just Sunday would have been a great Drew Gear gift day. In the for middle me.
2: of the game, I said some really wild shit. And here's what I love. Mike Partham, still my buddy. He has no reason. Most of the people that I'm friends with who accept my bullshit have a reason to. We have a we have a tie. We have something that we've done together, some harrowing experience that we've been through together that kind of ties us at the hip. Chris, you and I have that together.
1: Yeah, we do. You're just one of those. I'm sure Partham will second this. You're just one of those people, like... People where if a certain situation comes up, I know I'm happy that Drew Gear is a friend.
0: <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> fair enough. But at the same time, Mike walked into the Lions and Mike is, like I said, one of the nicest human beings. And he had to tolerate me for that entire game. And he did so. By all accounts, he's still my friend. I I love him to death.
1: Raise a glass to Michael Partham. Raise your... My my bottled water.
2: water. We raise a glass to Mike Partham because you're you're one of the OGs and you're a soldier, dude, because you step into the lion's den and you put up with me being one of the worst versions of myself, and yet you still are willing to be a friend to us, and I appreciate the hell out of that. My zero of the week, offensive line coach, Bobby Johnson. Fucking embarrassing! One of the major reasons, aside from Josh Allen's ascendance and our uber-talented defense, that the Bills were ever considered Super Bowl contenders this year is because of this perceived continuity and depth. And while there have been a lot of positions that have been able to illustrate that depth, wide receiver, defensive end, right? We had games where we played nine defensive ends. We had games where multiple wide receivers had to get involved. We're finding out that a lot like a sandcastle built too close to the beach, the offensive line's depth that the Bills sold us was clearly built on some precarious fault lines. It's been a narrative since week one, but at no point in the 2021 season have our problems on the line been as glaring as they were when our alleged depth was actually tested against a relatively weak Jacksonville front seven. Everybody failed. Every offensive lineman across the board struggled. And there's a part of me that wants to say that I understand. I want to I want to try to make excuses. Feliciano's injury, Brown's injury, they're not ideal. You lose a starting guard, you lose a starting tackle at the same time. And yet some of these struggles are so absurd, they defy logic for an NFL franchise. I mean, much of your depth clearly is an NFL caliber. Cody Ford, despite being PFF's highest-rated player in the game, which, Chris, doesn't that almost make – isn't it embarrassing for them? That is That their algorithm says Cody Ford was the best offensive player.
1: That is very – probably because he uh, did real well in the, in the uh, screenshot I retweeted of uh, Morris and the guards on a triple team. <sighs> Dude. Dude. <laughs> Dude, I would also, not only would I throw Bobby Johnson, the zero of the game, the entire offensive line. uh, I would throw in the uh, coach at Oklahoma, the offensive line coach at Oklahoma, the offensive line and head coach to any school that our offensive line attended to, because this was just a complete disaster on the front line.
2: Cody Ford allowed five pressures, three hurries, three hits, and a sack. He's one of the NFL's worst offensive linemen. Ninth worst in pressures allowed. Seventh worst in hits allowed. Fifteenth worst for sacks allowed. And that's with him being benched for multiple games. He has no place in professional football. And also, no place in professional steakhouses. I I was at the chop house with Greg Thompson, Aaron Quinn. You showed up eventually. I
1: saw him in the parking lot.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You go into a place where you're obligated to wear a jacket or at least a button-down shirt, maybe some dress shoes, he showed up in a T-shirt and sweatpants. Between that performance Sunday and his attire at that steakhouse, I'll see that guy in hell. Ike Bakker, essentially mediocre. He won't wow you, but he won't kill you most weeks. But he's been a poor run-blocker, and he had one of the worst run-blocking grades this weekend of any offensive lineman. Like... Jamil Douglas, I don't even know what he is. I mean, he isn't good enough to put on the field, regardless of how bad Cody Ford is. That tells you something. And then you've got Ryan Bates, who, as Greg Thompson, he declared him Schrodinger's lineman, because you'll never know if he's good or not, because he's never going to see the field, despite the fact that we traded for him and keep him around under the guise of quote-unquote development. Chris, all this... Proposed development of these offensive linemen—the Jamil Douglases, the 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 Bodkers, the, the what what the fuck are we doing when you can't rely on a single call-up to come up and work on your offensive line and make any kind of sense of this? I mean, the fact that we've made it to this point in the NFL season with so much at our fingertips—that's a mistake born of a defensive head coach who's deferring to the expertise of a guy overseeing that position group. And then it's not just the fact that our guys struggle, but the ways they struggle that are mind-numbing. I mean, Chris, Brother Bill's tweet, he goes, because you could see there was zero communication. Brother Bill tweeted out this weekend, I wonder if at some point during that triple team block that you just referenced, if they all three didn't make eye contact and go, what are you doing here? (laughs) What are you doing here? Hey, this is my guy. Wait, there's two free rushers to the quarterback? It's fucking ridiculous. When every single piece involved in a system fails, you can't place the majority of blame on the pieces themselves because there's one guy responsible for making sure that those things work. And if they don't, it has to be communicated well enough to the people in charge, like your offensive coordinator who knows not to call a draw play on the three-yard line so that you can make preparations to respond to a bad offensive line accordingly with your game plan. That isn't happening. And to this point, I'm genuinely questioning what the fuck Bobby Johnson does with these guys all week. If McDermott, Dable, and Bean want to make good on the promise that's still out there for 2021, they need to start asking those same questions. Final thoughts, Chris.
1: That game sucked. Let's move on to the New York Jets. All right. I'll make this quick.
2: Everyone has a reaction to games like this, and this game in particular. There's a lot of you out there that I've seen on social media who think that Dwight Schrute put it best when he said this. Ah! Others, the more intelligent and pragmatic of you, might be channeling your inner Peter Venkman when describing the state of the Buffalo Bills. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. And finally, there's a more pragmatic category of fan who who sees things in a little less manic light. And ultimately, hopefully in a way that I hope our head coach is reiterating to everybody else in the wake of this loss. In other words, it's a huge shit sandwich and we're all going to have to take a bite. I'd like to think I'm a part of that last group. And I got to tell you, it wasn't much fun chewing. Chris, this is what Josh Allen had to say in the aftermath of this loss.
1: And credit to them; they came out. They wanted it more. You know, we had a lot of, a lot of little things add up to big things. Um, and I put the ball in danger too too often. Bit us in the butt. Played like, excuse my language, but um, that starts with me. So I got to be better for this team. Um, but again, those guys on defense get paid too. They had a good game plan. Josh Allen, buffalobills.com. That is not what he said. They said, oh,
2: yeah, I made some plays. bit us in the butt. Well,
1: listen to how hoarse he sounds. Yeah. He was yelling at everyone. But
2: you know, it's a dub. His quote was, I played like shit. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. Josh Allen shouldn't have to apologize for the fucking time for the rest of this goddamn football team. Josh Allen shouldn't have to by himself bear the mantle of blame for all of the failure that led to this moment where you've lost to the one-win Jacksonville Jaguars. And I want to talk about the, like, that right there is frustrating. Yeah, he was screaming at people all game. Now he's hoarse, and he's embarrassed, and he's hurt because he lost a football game. And yet, like a leader, he's trying to take it all on himself. I love this guy. And I hate where this football team is right now. Here's some new realities, Chris. The number one seed is a pipe dream right now. That's gone. I don't ever want to hear that conversation amongst our fan base again. Number one seed in the AFC East is a pipe dream. The margin for error is now razor thin. Not just in the AFC, but in our own division. I mean, all the cops people have drummed up to help themselves feel better, talking about Tampa Bay losing to New Orleans, all these winning teams that lost to other teams. Those, those teams, like, like, oh, Tampa Bay lost to New Orleans and still went on winning the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay lost to a team they inevitably ended up seeing in the playoffs. The only place I'll see Urban Meyer again is in hell, because Jacksonville isn't sniffing the postseason. This team needs to have an any given Sunday come to Jesus session, or else this season has the ability to just get away from all of us. I don't know how we fix that. I don't know where we go from here. I hope that this is one of those games that we can just move on from. But Chris is a fan base. When I watch people freak out about these losses the way that they have, I got to remind you all remember where the hell we came from, right? Like when it comes to this, it's very easy to tell who amongst you is new. How many of you jumped on the bandwagon and how many of you have been here through all of it? Because I feel like Bane in, in The Dark Knight Rises. I watch people talking about that loss. It, it broke me. It's terrible and I can't go And I'll never watch this team again. I'm so angry. I was born in this darkness. I was molded by it. And it's the reason that I'm impervious to it now. So what I'll do is I'll drink my beer. I'll laugh about this. And we'll get up for next weekend the same way we do every week. Because that's what you do when you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills. You take the hard losses along with the wins, the whole nine. Chris... Where else would you rather be than right here right now? I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been your RockPile Report.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger.